Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. All right, guys, I thought I'd let the music run out both on the recorded and the YouTube side today. Welcome into the show. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. I am at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, Dan Bespris on the socials. And the NBA season starts tomorrow. I am quite sorry I didn't have a show over the weekend. I was hoping to, but as those of you with multiple children know, it's quite difficult to get anything done. And then on top of that, I had four fantasy drafts over the weekend. I have two more today, and uh, then the season begins tomorrow. So we're jamming in as much as we can. And today, we're talking the best players on the board. At large. We've got a per-game analysis. We've got a totals analysis. So, technically, we have 24 things to cover. Although, um, there's quite a bit of overlap. And the explanation on a lot of it is relatively straightforward. In fact, I think once we get through the per-game side, you'll see the totals list, and you'll think, okay, well, now I know who Dan thinks is going to play a bunch more games than anybody else. And you can kind of run from there. So, today... This is really about helping you navigate the first round and then some parts of the second round. Trying to think if it comes into play in any other meaningful fashion. No, that's probably it. And then as far as what's coming up on the show, or the the feed, I should say, this will be a one-show day today because, again, I have a draft in 85 minutes from now. I have another one four hours from now. Tomorrow, no more drafts. Tomorrow, we'll have two shows. In the morning, we'll break down some real results from drafts. You guys can get a feel for how I kind of assess the way the board is ending up. And then also in the afternoon tomorrow, before the games actually start, and I know there aren't that many, so we don't have to be uh, overly concerned with just the tomorrow stuff. Just two games. Lakers are in Denver. Phoenix is in Golden State. And then things get hairy on Wednesday. But you do have weekly lineups that need to be set. You want to look to see if there are some sort of light days. There are, by the way. Um, my thoughts on streaming, I'll kind of talk through on that show as well. So that'll be a really important one to kind of get things rolling, get the season underway the right way. So that'll be tomorrow. For those that are watching live, please feel free to throw thoughts in the chat room. I think we'll have some time at the end today to get to questions if they're uh, show topic relevant. For those watching live after the fact or listening on traditional podcast channels, please take a moment to like and subscribe to everything we're doing here at Sports Ethos, but specifically here, Fantasy NBA Today, and uh, anything that I'm throwing out over on the video side. That was a four-minute intro. I'm not, I'm sorry about that. It was longer than I intended, but I wanted you guys to know what was coming up on the show. We have a lot of listeners that are sort of everydayers, and I want them to know what to expect. I think that's useful. Here's the board. Well, here's the empty board. Best players in fantasy basketball will start on the per-game side, and I'm going to put all 12 names on at once for you guys, so we're not going to walk through this thing quickly. And there they are. For YouTubers, you get to see it. For those that are listening... I will also ruin the surprise for you. My top 12 on the per-game side, Joel Embiid, number one per game. Might surprise a lot of you, but I've been sort of hinting at it throughout the uh, run-up to the season. Nikola Jokic, a very, very tight number two. Shea Gilgis-Alexander remains in the number three slot. Kevin Durant 
who I do think takes a small step back this year, but I also think that everybody around him is taking either a small step back uh, or not a big enough step forward. And so KD stays basically where he was last year. And again, I'll get into the the explanation on, on a lot of this in a minute. Steph Curry, number five, I think he also kind of hangs out around the same number. Kawhi Leonard makes a big leap forward from his full game, full season last year, but not much of a change off of the second half. Tyrese Halliburton, a little bit of a move forward. He was eight last year. He goes to seven in my board this season. Uh, Kawhi's ascendance up is the only thing keeping him from getting any farther. Anthony Davis drops down to number eight. I think we saw the free throw stuff really start to become an issue towards the, the latter parts of last season. And if you look at the final couple months, which I know he was playing through injury, um, AD just wasn't that guy at the top of the board anymore. So I think the reality is that it falls somewhere in between, but Anthony Davis was number 14 down the stretch last year, despite 2.9 defensive stats. So it was really all about a bad free throw stroke that I think is going to be an issue. But again, getting too far ahead of myself. Jason Tatum at number 9, Jaron Jackson Jr. at number 10, Kyrie Irving at number 11, and Jimmy Butler at number 12. Not a ton of changes off of last year, but some. And so let's go through these names and figure out why I have some of these adjustments and where they end up because of it. At the top of the board, Joel Embiid, who technically last year was in a statistical, or maybe call it a Z-score, dead heat with Nikola Jokic. And it wasn't like it was because one guy was better for builds than the other guy. Both guys were incredibly elite at a handful of different things. Nikola Jokic, elite rebounder, elite passer, elite field goal percent. Very good, but not elite in points. And for a first rounder, kind of meh in points, frankly. Steals were solid, very solid for a center. Blocks were not so great. Free throws were fine, but not a massive positive and pretty high turnovers. But again, relatively common for first rounders. The reason I move Joel Embiid in front is that James Harden ain't showing up. And as we approach opening night, which is basically, you know, hours and not weeks anymore, there hasn't been a trade yet involving James Harden. So and everybody's like, and this is accurate to say someone's going to come back in that trade. Yes, someone is going to come back in that trade when it happens. They don't have to move him quickly. The Sixers, as a team, can stay afloat without Harden. They have plenty of talent around Embiid. Tyrese Maxey is very good. Uh, they have some depth now. Obviously, DeAnthony Melton, Tobias Harris. These guys can all do some stuff. I mean, yeah, you're not. it's not James Harden. It's not the star power. But that team is still a an above 500 ball club even without Harden. So... And it's not like the front office can't communicate to the team either. Daryl Morey can walk in there when Harden is continuing to not be around and just say, guys, I need you guys to just keep this ship afloat. I promise you I'm going to do what's best for the team. I'm going to go get a really good package for this for, for the beard. And then we're going to turn a corner and hit the afterburners at that point. But just don't give up on me, guys. Don't give up on me, Daryl. I'm doing fan fiction here as Daryl Morey. Don't give up on me, team. I'm going to get you somebody good. In the meantime, I'm going to need you guys to go full throttle. And for Embiid, that means last year and maybe even more. Embiid last year, elite in scoring, in rebounding, very good in blocks at 1.7, not in that upper, upper, uppermost echelon, but right behind it. 
Positive impact guy in field goal. Big time positive impact guy in free throw percent. Steals actually not bad at one for a center. 4.2 assists is not terrible, but he's obviously not Nikola Jokic level. When you mush all that stuff together, those two guys had almost the exact same positive impact, just in two decidedly different ways. The reason I have Embiid in front of Jokic on the per-game board this year, and I continue to stress the per-game board, is that I think Jokic off a championship, and everybody can say that he just floats along and does amazing MVP-level stuff without even really having to focus or want it, but that's just not true. That's an act. It's a shtick. It's shtick now for Jokic. He obviously wants it. You don't win an NBA title without wanting it. And off a long title run, there's going to be a little bit of a dial down. Denver's got plenty of weapons. They don't need Jokic to average 25, 12, and 10 every single ball game. And where you might see it is perhaps do the minutes come down just the tiniest bit? Are there, are there additional rest days? That doesn't really factor into per game. Is he the best field goal percent impact guy in the entire league again next year? If any one of those small things is not exactly where it was this last season, Embiid, who's going to be asked to do even more without Harden, passes him on the per-game side. And I think there's a pretty decent chance that one of those things happens. Literally any one thing that I just listed. Does Embiid do a tiny bit more? He passes him. Does Embiid play an extra half minute? He passes him. Does Jokic shoot 61% instead of 63? Embiid passes him. Does Jokic average 11.5 or 9.5 assists instead of basically 12 and 10? Embiid passes him. So I don't think it's really that controversial to say that Embiid is my number one per-game guy. But the reason everybody's drafting Nikola Jokic, including myself, is that Embiid could fall apart and play 55 ball games, where with Jokic, you just don't really see that as a possibility. The fall apart for Jokic is probably low to mid-60s. The reality is that both of these guys are going to be gunning for high 60s in games played, and one of them, Jokic, not to be coy about it, has a better shot to get there than the other one. I have Shea Gilgis-Alexander still in the number three spot. I know that there's this, this thought that he's going to take a massive step backwards, and there may be some, like maybe the free throw volume comes down a little bit. I don't know that anything else changes all that much for him with Chet Holmgren around, who's not like going to be a big usage dude. And yeah, other guys on that team are going to get better around him, and maybe they don't need him to do quite as much. Uh, doesn't matter. He had an edge on Anthony Davis for the number four spot. I think AD's going down. He had an edge on Kevin Durant, who was right behind Anthony Davis in that sort of four or five range. I think KD's taking a small step back. So if you just assume all three of these guys are taking some minor step backwards, why would anybody pass Shea? I don't think they do, and I don't think I need to go into much more detail than that. Number four, Kevin Durant, who, again... It's the same general uh, assessment of the previous one. Yes, health stuff is always going to be hanging over Durant and Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid and Kawhi Leonard and Kyrie Irving, health and other, Jimmy Butler, nagging injury stuff. But that's why this is the per-game board. Kevin Durant was the number five player in fantasy last year. I don't think that his numbers changed that much in Phoenix because he was already kind of doing the share with someone else thing. They come down a little bit because now it's share with a couple someone else's in a way that was not, you know, he had Kyrie Irving. Now he's got a, an iteration of Kyrie Irving in, in Devin Booker and another one in Bradley Beal. 
But this is still Kevin Durant. He's still maybe the most efficient scorer on planet Earth. And the farther we get removed for him from catastrophic season-ending full-year missing injury, I actually think, I know he's getting older, but I actually think that there's a chance that his arc, kind of like Clay Thompson a little bit, still had room to come back up a little bit. Now, is his overall workload going to be lower? Probably. I don't think they want him playing 35 and a half, 36 minutes a game. They're going to need it sometimes because Phoenix is going to have all kinds of chemistry stuff at the beginning of the year. And when I say beginning, I mean like probably the first two to three months of the year. 29, six and a half, and five is what he was at last year. You could see that coming down a little bit and everything. But again, he had some space on the per game side behind himself separating himself from Steph Curry, who was number six per game last year. Durant's turnovers probably come down a tad, I would think, also. So maybe that creates a little bit of a buffer. Yes, everything that he doesn't do is is a pain in the butt because you want a guy who has those efficient marks doing as much as humanly possible. I just don't see anybody behind him and close enough in overall rank to potentially pass him. Number five, I have Steph Curry, who, again, not a big surprise. Uh, His role stays about the same. The guys in front of him come closer to him in Durant, Anthony Davis, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. The guys behind Steph from last year, and this is a pretty easy way to do the analysis, but again, you know me and trying to simplify things. Dame was right behind Steph last year. I think he does less. Halliburton was behind Dame. I like Tyrese, and you'll hear we'll talk about him here momentarily. Kyrie Irving was the next one down the board, then Jimmy Butler. Those guys are not about to do more this coming season. So I see absolutely no reason why basically anybody other than the next name I'm going to say has any chance of catching Steph in per-game stuff based on the kind of things that Steph still can do. And in a delightful, perfect world, maybe you get the steals back up a little bit for Curry, who dropped down all the way to .9 last season. That's Dame territory. Usually he's more in that 1.1 land and maybe we get there and that would be fun for everybody we can all sit back and have a bowl of stew uh next name on the list is Kawhi Leonard and like some people might wonder why the hell this is there but we've we've gone over this I've tweeted about it constantly Kawhi Leonard last year wasn't himself the first half of the season he didn't have lift he had soreness remember he played you know a handful of games then he sat out for like another five six weeks There was mass panic across the fantasy landscape. I tried to quell your fears as best I could. I still remember, and this drives me absolutely insane, that that there were analysts out there saying sell hard on Kawhi Leonard when we were like a month and a half into the season and things were scary. But the problem was that all you could get back was like a top 100 guy. That dude's not moving the needle anyway. Even if you like the top 100 guy, that guy doesn't move the, the needle. So you had to ride it out. There was no other way to deal with it. Well, then he came back, and he was top four the rest of the way. Second half of the season, Kawhi Leonard was number four. He was ahead of Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He was behind only Dame, who was in full one-man gang operation mode, Jokic and Embiid. It was those guys and then Kawhi. On averages of 27, two and a half, seven boards, two and a half threes, I should say, seven boards, four assists, 1.6 steals, 0.7 blocks, and a 53-90 percentage splits. He was insane. Now, I don't know that he's going to come out and put up those numbers. And if Harden gets traded to the Clippers, that's a way that Leonard takes a step back. I didn't put him at number four. I put him at number six. 
he could go higher. I actually think Kawhi Leonard has a really good season this year. But that's why he creeps in in front of Halliburton. He just has a, a well-roundedness to his game that nobody else in the NBA, nobody, I repeat, nobody in the NBA has. Those last three months last year, Kawhi Leonard was a positive impact guy in all nine categories. He did it on 1.8 turnovers over that stretch. That's bonkers, man. Absolutely nuts. So it's not a slight on Tyrese Halliburton, who you guys know I like a lot, a lot, a lot, to put him at number seven. I just don't see how he can add enough to his stuff from last year to pass some of these guys that I've put in front of him. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Because nobody that I've put in front of him was really all that close to Halliburton in per-game numbers other than maybe Steph. So could Halliburton come roaring in and get in front of Steph and Kawhi and rotate this order around? Absolutely, yeah. Frankly, four, five, six, and seven on this board, and maybe even eight are all somewhat interchangeable. But the reason I have them the way I have them is that I, I just I think Kawhi is in nine cat is just it is wild. I think Halliburton kind of replicates last year. Could he add a little bit of scoring? Maybe I don't see how the assists really go up from ten and a half. But there's just not that much more to add because I don't think he wants to score that much more. I think he wants to get everybody involved, run and gun, and do it the way he does that is by being very efficient, making really good passes, and Indy gets good looks. Number eight is Anthony Davis. As much as I do think he takes a step back, it's hard for me to drop him much beyond this spot because he's still Anthony Davis. He's still a guy who gets three defensive stats, Scores in the mid-20s, rebounds over 10, 11 boards a game. And I know Lakers are like, yeah, AD, you're going to be playing the four a lot this year. Nah. He's opening the season as the starting five, ladies and gentlemen. LeBron's the starting four. Torian Prince is the starting three. When Jared Vanderbilt comes back, I guess there's a chance that he could slot in there. But so far, it doesn't really look like the Lakers want to run a Christian Wood-Anthony Davis duo in the front court or a Jackson Hayes-Anthony Davis duo. Because Wood, not a great defender, while he can kind of space the floor a little bit, they want the defense to open up the game. And Jackson Hayes can't space the floor, so you get a little bit better defense, but you don't get any offense. Meanwhile, if you move Anthony Davis to the five, you get both. And you can put in a decent wing defender who can also spread the floor in a guy like Prince. It just makes sense. Like, the other centers in L.A., they'll see time. 
But I'll, at the end of the day, Anthony Davis is still going to be logging a crap ton of minutes at center. If he shoots 73% at the free throw line all year, then he's behind this mark. It's not a punt number, but it ain't that far off of it. It was a first-round pick. Uh, but if he's in the mid-70s, this is where he ends up. And again, with the amount that he does on defense, it's really, it's frankly, it's hard for him to fall much beyond this. I moved Jason Tatum up to number nine. You could convince me that I was wrong on this one pretty easily. Um, this is mostly because I think his season pretty well replicates what he did last year, which for Tatum was number 11, but, you know, he was like one or two good games away from being number nine, and he was one or two poorer games from Kyrie Irving or Jimmy Butler away from being number nine. So six to one, half dozen a little bit, but I did move him up the board because I just, I, I like his consistency, and so we'll roll with that. Number 10, Jaron Jackson Jr., who was number 12 last year, so it's really not that nuts for me to say, hey, how about we give you no Steven Adams for the entire year? Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw that news uh, over the weekend, but Steven Adams is out for the entire damn season for Memphis. So, hi, JJJ, you're going to be logging more center minutes again because ain't no way they want to play Xavier Tillman there all night, every night. We saw that the second half of last season. So the boards will still be there, the blocks will still be there, the field goal percent will still be there, and... How about this, JJJ? How about you get to play the first third of the year without your team's leading score? You want to take more than 13 shots? This will be the time to do it. He takes a small step forward. That's a fairly straightforward handicap, I think, on him to say, oh, he'll do a little bit more. And he only played, by the way, 28 and a half minutes of ballgame. And it wasn't always about foul trouble. Some of it was, but a lot of it was just... They want to keep his minutes in check. They don't want him getting hurt. I mean, if they push him to 29 and a half or 30, which still isn't all that much, you add some rebounds, you add some scoring, you just add a little bit on top of a little bit on top of the bigger chunk of, hey, you get to do more on offense with no jaw around for a while. And he's a guy that should take a step forward. And I get it. As a first round pick, he's kind of a difficult guy to build around because he's so very good in one statistical category. But if he elevates himself to being a small positive play in points, a bigger positive play in rebounds than he was, as a second rounder, well, he's an easy call. I've got Kyrie Irving down at 11, and I may regret that decision. He probably, frankly, belongs uh, back up in front of the last two guys, um, like Tatum, like JJJ, because Luka Doncic is questionable for the season opener. He's been dealing with this calf stuff. He's going to get games off. And Kyrie already knows how to play alongside a very high-volume guy. He's done it for years. He did it with Braun. He did it with Durant. I don't know that his numbers suffer all that much alongside Luka Doncic. And frankly, if you look at the tail end of last year, they didn't. I know Luka was kind of in and out of the lineup over that stretch, but Kyrie was number five. The last 20 games last year on 27, 5, and 6 with crazy great percentages, steals, blocks, and threes. And we're talking about guys in the league that can get nine category positives. Kyrie was freaking close. He needed about a rebound more to get there. He ain't going to get that six rebound, so it's just never going to happen for him. But 1.3 steals and .6 blocks out of your guard, well, that's pretty damn good. So Kyrie at 11, again, maybe undershooting a tiny bit. He probably ends up in the 9 range, but I went light on him here just in case there's any kind of, all right, I got my contract. I uh, Alongside Luca, I'll take it easy. And finally, Jimmy Butler at number 12. 
which again, relatively easy call. His team actually got worse. He was number nine the second half of last year. There's no reason to think he can't duplicate a lot of that. Maybe the 55% shooting comes down. Uh, but the assists could also be up. The steals were at 1.6. We've seen him get up near two for stretches. Uh, he's another guy that because of his free throw volume, his steals, um, and frankly, the field goal percent, it's actually very hard for Jimmy Butler to fall all that far down the board. So I've got him at 12, and there really weren't, as I look at these the names that I, I just kind of left off the list, there really weren't guys that I was like, oh, I, there's someone else I really wanted to get in there. Because the closest last year was Christoph Porzingis to being in this the top 12, um, and Damian Lillard, who I think falls just outside of the top 12 on a per-game basis. Not by much, and frankly, he might get in there and knock Butler to 13, or, you know, if JJJ doesn't step forward. Frankly, Jason Tatum could be a little bit worse, and he might be the guy who ends up at 13. Uh, but the honorable mention here was um, certainly Damian Lillard. He's kind of your your top 12 snub on the Dan Bespris side. Um and I'm also realizing that I probably need to rearrange one name on the totals board right here in the middle of the show. So while we're doing that, I'm going to remind all of you guys to please take a moment to like, rate, subscribe to this video. Find me on social media at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Now with the season starting tomorrow, we're going to have breaking news all day, every day in the NBA. That's the place that I can actually get that news to you in fine fashion. Also, plug for our draft tracker tool this year that Andre put together. It's unbelievable. I've used it in all six, five, five of my cash drafts so far. I'm planning on using it in the other two going on today. I think I'm at nine totals leagues this year, and that's basically where I want to keep it. I got it down from, was it like 15 a couple years ago, and it was just too many. Uh, I've used it in every cash draft so far. I found it, oddly, uh, even more helpful in head-to-head -head, where you can really lean into strengths as you're looking at, at what the other teams are doing. On Roto, you're trying to go balance, 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 balance. But then at the end of the draft, you can find yourself kind of tilting into certain stats and maybe it doesn't give you the world's best assessment because in Gamescap Roto, you don't play your last four or five guys every time they go. Head-to-head, -head, you're playing them all. Amazing tool. That's in the Fantasy Pass, which again starts at just 6 bucks. And if you want to upgrade to the All Sport Fantasy Pass, there's a coupon running right now. That coupon is Ethos246. Ethos246 gets you 2 bucks off uh, for 6 months on the All Sport. So that comes from 9 bucks down to 7 which is just $1 more than the NBA solos. So you're paying $1 extra dollar a month with that coupon to get baseball and football stuff. That'll, uh, again... Just $1 more over the next six months. So that's October through April. Um, the slight adjustment that needed to be made on the other side. I don't know if you guys can see it as I'm doing it. I'm hoping you can't. This is Dan doing crap on the fly. I think I did it while you guys weren't. Yeah, good for me. All right, let's go over to the total side. And it is. Oh, there we go. It's switched right in front of your very eyes. <laughs> Oh, man, I got to get better at this uh, video stuff. All right, we'll get there at some point. Totals. You'll notice there is a bit of a shakeup on this side, and, you know, explanations don't need to be all that long for it because it's pretty obvious why certain guys are not on the total side that were on the per-game side. 
let's start at the top. Uh, those of you watching live on YouTube or after the fact, you guys can see all 12 names. Those of you listening, we're going to read them to you right now. Those names are Nikola Jokic at one, then Shea Gilgis-Alexander at two, Tyrese Halliburton at three, Joel Embiid at four, Jason Tatum at five, Jaron Jackson Jr. at six, Kevin Durant at seven. Yeah, I know. I'm a little more bullish on his health this year. Probably will bite me. Mikael Bridges at eight. Mr. 83 damn games last year. Steph Curry at nine. Jimmy Butler at 10. Desmond Bain at 11. And Damian Lillard at 12. And the uh, totals snub is Kawhi Leonard, who um, is right off the board there. I just think his per-game numbers are going to be so beefy that Kawhi uh, missing whatever it is, missing an extra three, four games, something like that, that keeps him out of that that uppermost echelon. But I, I do think he's going to be awfully close to getting into that first round. And, and so that's why I'm actually okay in most formats taking him mid-second round and beyond. Because I think even by totals, he beats that mark. But just a few thoughts on the totals board. We're not going to go this, through this one uh, piece by piece. Jokic, I have at number one because I have him playing about the league average number of basketball games, and, and that should be enough to kind of keep him in front of Shea Gilgis-Alexander. That's the guy that I think can challenge him for the number one spot this year. Uh, but I think Shea only plays maybe two, three more games than Jokic on the season, so that gets him into the number two hole. Halliburton I have playing in the mid to high 70s. Actually, I think it's going to be a really healthy season for him. Back to basically what we saw, not this last season, but the one before that, remember, uh, Halliburton, the... Uh, when he got traded to Indiana, he played 77 games that year. And if you're like, Dan, you seem like a total crazy person. Well, Halliburton was number seven by totals that year while being a late second rounder on the per-game side. And this, again, this is all just about assessing what a game played actually means. So Jason Tatum being number four last year, despite being number 11, means for Halliburton, who I just told you guys I have... Uh, at number seven per game, well, if he's playing a bunch of ball games, that's way more than enough games to get him climbing over a few of the guys in front of him. Embiid, I have at number four. I think the extra workload is going to knock him down into the low 60s in games played, but per game is going to be so awesome that he still will stay in the top five by totals. Jason Tatum is back up at number five, basically a repeat of what he did last year, which I know isn't super creative on my part, but also I think that's what happens. Jared Jackson Jr., who's a uh, late first-rounder for the entire season this time around, not starting the year late like he did last time. Remember, JJJ missed the first month of the year. After that, he only missed a smattering of games the rest of the way, I think maybe five or six after missing the first month. Uh, if that's the pace he keeps this year and he gets into the low-ish 70s in games played by being the number 9, 10, 11 per game guy, pretty easy for him to get up to number six by totals. I got Kevin Durant at number seven by totals. Again, you know, lower than league average in games played, something like 63-64, keeps him here in the middle of the first round. Mikhail Bridges, I have up around 80 games played. Um, very similar, which again, I know sometimes it's like the same thing is not going to happen two years in a row. But with Bridges, I think we have an okay shot of getting back to basically what happened this last year. Um, so he's up there. Steph at number nine, I think he plays a little bit, again, fewer than the the typical amount for the top of the board so that drops him a little behind his per game mark but not by much jimmy butler same general story desmond bain is one that should interest you guys because i think he's right around 20 per game this year i think he's relatively healthy and honestly he could go higher than this by totals if he stays super healthy 
but I wanted to give a little bit of wiggle room. So I've got Bain playing around 71, 72 games this year. Um, Grizzlies are going to need him. Steven Adams being out, Ja being out. Um, it's going to need to be a lot of Bain. So I'm thinking teens per game for a while. Good health drops into the 20s maybe when uh, when Ja is back. So around 20, 19, 20 on the per game side. Good health gets him to the end of the first round by totals. And Damian Lillard, who I think is going to have a decent season, um, as you uh, didn't see, I should say, on the per-game side. He was the snub at number 13, but I think he plays probably like 69, 70 games, somewhere just above league average, and then does creep into the very end of the first round by totals. So those are your uh, best players in fantasy basketball on the per-game and total side. Let's take a look at some of the questions over in the chat room, as I once again remind everybody to find me over on social at Dan Bespris. I hope a couple of you got, guys did it while I was talking. I think you might have, actually. That's kind of fun. The power of suggestion on YouTube. Uh, I got a points league question. We're going to jump over that. This is not a points league episode, so uh, sorry to Cano uh, uh, there. Um, Matt's talking about JJJ. We've covered that. Should I feel bad drafting LeBron in the third round at pick 34? Four. Um, yeah, a little bit. I, I'm I'm down on LeBron this year. He may be gunning for 65 games for various all NBA stuff, so that would be the one saving grace with him. Um, but I think you're looking at a guy who's in the 30s on a per game basis this year. He was at about 23, 24, 25 last season, and I think he does less. Assists probably stay about the same. Shots come down. Boards come down, minutes come down, free throws might come down. There's a lot to be worried about with LeBron. So I, I've been avoiding him. He, if he fell to the fourth round, I would probably do it, but I haven't seen that happen yet. Timothy says, I feel like LaMelo Ball is a similar Halliburton, but he just got hurt last year. What do you think separates him from Halliburton on the best player list? Uh, field goal percent is a night and day. Halliburton was at 49%. On only 15 shots, by the way, because Halliburton um, was much more of a pass-first element there. LaMelo Ball was at 41% on 20 shots. He was effectively going from someone who was, by the way, a positive for a point guard, but, you know, league average, Halliburton was basically about a net neutral in that, to LaMelo Ball, who's a full tank. He's a, he's a punt field goal guy. That makes a big, big difference. Halliburton also two more assists. LaMelo... Uh, you know, two and a half more rebounds, so that's where he has the edge. Both guys hit a bunch of three-pointers. Halliburton, a better free-throw shooter, by the way, so that's on top of it as well. More efficient, turns the ball over less. There's actually quite a lot that separates those two guys. Matt says, Maury moments by Dan Bespris. I'd read that fan fiction. Yeah, earlier in the show, I did a little I'm pretending to be Daryl Maury thing. Sorry, Daryl. I don't know if I said what you're saying, but I think it's quite conceivable. Uh, Kenny Luis Cruz says, I see KD fourth here, but his ADP is very high. Is he first round on 12 teamers? Um, yes, I believe so. Um, we have to hope that he, his health is better this year. I'm hoping that Phoenix keeps the minutes in check a little, and then you hope for, you know, no weird, like slipping on a wet spot during warmups crap, but he is Kevin Durant. He is very long and lean. And so little things can happen like that. I'm just hoping that they are much smaller. Where is Luka Doncic? Well, this is 9-cat, and he's, I mean, we're going by strict ranking. He was number 16 last year. He's dealing with a calf that's still an issue, so I can't in good conscience put him forward. 
And he probably finishes around 16 again. Derek Lively or Xavier Tillman in 9-cat? I'll go Tillman just because he's the safe play. No Draymond on opening night news coming out. Should we roll with Jonathan Kaminga? Um, yeah, he'll probably get to do some stuff. Now, the problem with Kaminga is that last year he really hurt you in a number of spots uh, on the 9-cat side. Kevon Looney is your safer play here. Who's not going to be that exciting. He's only going to score eight points, but he almost definitely gets you nine to 12 rebounds, probably a steal, maybe more. Maybe you get two defensive stats out of him. My streamer is probably uh, Kevon Looney. I'm just not a Kaminga believer. Maybe he does it while Draymond's out. Eh. Would you trade your DeAndre Ayton for Jeremy Grant and Clay Thompson? Uh, you know, I might actually, I think Aiden's probably a per game forties guy this year, maybe early fifties. And I think Clay Thompson's probably early fifties and Grant is probably late fifties. So yeah, I, I think you're actually getting more on the two player side, but of course it depends on who you got to drop. Matt says, Dan, is there a player statistic storyline or other that you'd like to nominate for the first entry into the Weird Al Index for this rapidly upcoming season? If you guys are not aware, by the way, uh, Matt uh, rewrites songs to NBA themes, a la Weird Al, but this is all fantasy basketball related. Um, it's got to be James Harden, doesn't it? I know that's a little buzzy, but as I finish my water on air... Uh, Feels like we need a Harden song because the Dame saga ended. JPX says, with one IL plus and two bench players, is durability first priority? Like pick Tatum instead of Embiid, Bane over Kawhi. That's what I did. Is this a good strategy? Yeah, if you've only got one IL slot, IL plus or otherwise, and only two bench players, you badly need your guys to stay upright. That's rough, man. Like missed Because that means that you know, you're talking 12 players and maybe a 13th if you can squeeze them onto the IL+. Plus. So, so you're talking about between 39 and 52 games a week probably out of your whole team. Call it about 44, 45, meaning every zero you get is huge. Almost, I mean, geez, like that's a, that's a massive deal. It's more than 2% of your weekly output. So if you got guys with durability issues... Um, they can knock out 5% of your week, 10% of your week pretty quick. Now, the other side of that is uh, when MB does play, he puts up numbers that are a lot bigger than Tatum, and Kawhi puts up numbers that are quite a bit bigger than Bane. But I get it, man. Like, you want your guys out there. Um, maybe you go one and one in a league like that, or just be a little bit more careful as you move later on. So there's a couple other ways you can look at it. Giannis says, what can we realistically expect from Xavier Tillman? Uh, not a lot. I mean, people are like, oh, Xavier Tillman time. And I admit I gave him the nod in one of the questions earlier. But, like, he basically had this job for the whole second half of last year. And he ended up hanging out right around the edge of the top 100. Which is fine. You know, it's good enough. But it's not going to blow the roof off the building. I think probably more like 120. Honestly, maybe later than that. YMC says, how many assists do you think Maxi averages this season with Harden gone? So, yeah, last year that was a big knock on Maxi is that he really didn't pass at all. He only had three and a half assists. 
Uh, with no Harden around, I think that probably gets up into the high fours is my take. People generally overguess on assists. Like, oh, Harden's gone. Max is going to get seven assists per ball game. No, it's going to be a lot of spreading it around. I think that three and a half goes to about 4.7, 4.8, maybe as high as five. Um, but I don't think he gets much beyond that, if at all. Does Scoot have a top 100 season? Per game, no. Totals, maybe. Depends a little bit on how he's used and his health. I, I don't think he gets inside the top 100 per game, though. Wemby will end up being a first-rounder, won't he? Says uh, Bleep Scott Foster. Uh, not this year. I mean, he, he's going to be at some point. Um, the NBA season is going to catch up a little bit. His numbers are going to be wild. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of Jaron Jackson Jr. to his numbers. But picture JJJ with kind of a bad field goal percent. I think it's kind of a reasonable way to look at him this year. Um, and that's like a, that to me is is like a really good outcome. Or maybe like Miles Turner with a bad field goal percent. No, I mean, go JJJ. Screw it. Make it JJJ. Uh, he could be a second rounder. I'm not sure he will, but he could. But I think you're going to see turnovers, field goal percent are going to be issues. The rigors of a season are going to be issues. All that stuff is going to creep in. He's going to be fun as hell, though. Sheesh. Don Vito says Chris Paul or Scoot Henderson. Um, I'll go Chris Paul, and everybody's going to kill me for it, but I think he's just going to quietly plot along. Health could be a problem. He's quite old. Tu padre, my father, says, what is your opinion on what to focus per game or per totals prediction? Is there an argument for choosing someone like Bain over Anthony Davis? There definitely is an argument. Um, I don't think those guys are quite close enough to warrant it. Uh, I'd rather take the shot on the crazy per-game guy and hope that he has a relatively healthy season. Um, but totals really matter with your best players because you need them on the floor. You know, if you take a bunch of guys early that end up missing games and getting hurt, you're, you got no shot. As the draft goes along or as your numbers go along, once you get to like that top 60, 75 range where it's the guys that are kind of like just sort of keeping your team at baseline performance, that's where you want to start looking at per game more. I think totals matter more early on if all other things are equal. Like if you're in this one, Bain versus Anthony Davis, to me there's a little bit too much of a gap there. But if you were talking like, hmm, Kawhi versus... Uh, like Demonis Sabonis, who everybody... Well, maybe that's not even a good example. Um, maybe like Jimmy Butler versus Mikhail Bridges. I think I'd probably rather Butler and just pray he stays a little bit healthier. But if it's a little bit farther apart, I go the other way. I know, not a great answer to the question, but there is a cutoff. Will Chris Paul be rosterable this season or more of an assist steal streamer? I think he'll be rosterable. Jonathan says, Xavier Tillman or Santi Aldama? I'll go Tillman. Weston says, please touch up on LaMelo as a 24th pick in points leagues. Uh, not a big points leagues guy, but he'll be fine there. I like it. Don Vito again says, would you rather roster Sohan or Kobe White? Uh, give me Sohan and let's see what the hell, see what the hell happens. Sack Accountant says, will Cunningham finish as a top 20 player in 9-cat head-to-head? No. Cirillo says, I'm a 12-team, 8-cat Roto League and managed to get, and then nothing after that. Cirillo, you're leaving us hanging, man. That's unfortunate. Don Vito, if you had to pick one of Gafford or Okongwu for the entire season, who would it be? 
Give me a Kongwu. I'm a little worried about just all things Wizards. Um, Gafford could go higher, but what if Capella gets moved or hurt or whatever? I'll go with Kongwu because he's shown himself to be extraordinarily durable. Um, and there's... We already know he's top 75 in only 22, 23 minutes a game. We need more than that to get Gafford there. Um, someone Marco says, someone took Wemby at pick 14 in my league. Yeah, it's happening all the time. He's going early to mid-second round now. Big preseasons will do that. Um, I think most of these folks are going to get a few big games and feel like they've won and then ignore the fact that there will be some bumps after that. And that's okay. Because, again, he'll be fun at the very least. Oh, no. Uh, Jonathan says, please rank the following. Sohan, Quickly, Kobe White, Taylor Orton, Tucker, and Kyle Lowry in 9-cat. Give me Quickly at the top of that board. Uh, then Sohan. Uh, if we're, actually, if we're going per game, I'll go Quickly, then Lowry. Then Sohan, then White, then Tucker. And then obviously if it's totals, Kyle Lowry ends up at the bottom because he's probably going to pass out after two months. Would you rather have Azar Thompson or Ahmed Thompson in a dynasty draft? Uh, I'll go Azar. Yeah. There's more room, I think, in Detroit. Oh, here's Cirillo's question. Oh, it's just your team, buddy. Um, good job, but I can't. That's not a question. Paolo says, is Bilal worth the last pick? And a 14-teamer, you'll probably drop him. You can do it if you want, but you'll probably drop him. Is Bam worth a top 20 pick for durability purposes? No, I don't think you need to reach on him there. I think he'll be there, you know, when he comes back kind of early third round anyway. So, nah. Dame or Kevin Durant with the ninth pick in a roto draft? I'd probably go KD if there's a games cap. Sack Accountants back says, if I go Wemby... Should I look to trade him now or enjoy the ride? Um, if you can get a couple of big games out of him, I would trade him for a second rounder and never look back. Anthony says, and then I gotta, I'm got to wrapping it up. The questions are flying in here at the end of the show. I'm trying to catch up, and I'm not doing a great job of it. Hi, Dan. Which side has better value, Gafford and James Harden or Desmond Bain? Eh, I'll probably go Bain. Get me off of the messy mess. Is Al Horford rosterable in a 14-teamer head-to-head? No. He missed 20 games last year, and they're going to do it again. Roto, maybe. Don Vito says, Harden fell to 65 in my draft yesterday. Is that too far? Yeah, that's too far. Harden's got to go before 65. He can sit out a month, and he'll, he'll be a value there. Matisse says, last four picks in my draft were Bruce Brown, DeAnthony Melton, I'm in Thompson and Obi Toppin. Is any one of them worth dropping for a streamer spot? The odds are that you'll have at least one streamable, but let's give them a week or two. YMC says, are you high on Melton? YMC, have you been watching any of my shows, man? I've talked about DeAnthony Melton on about 15 different shows. Yes, I love DeAnthony Melton. He's going to get you a crap ton of steals. It's going to be great. Marco says, favorite draft pick in one of your drafts this year. I got Chris Paul at 104 in 30 deep. And then those... Those bozos let me come right back and get Jaden McDaniels at, like, 137. Having the best time. Having the best time. Matisse says, I drafted on Yeko Kongwu at 82. Is that too much? No, that's fine. F. Scott Foster says, will Ben Simmons be a top 75 player if he's truly healthy? Um, that's basically where I'd expect him to be if he's healthy, a 75-80 range. JPX comes... Oh, no, it's that same question again. Uh, Weston says, do you think Jeremy Grant could potentially go back to his Pistons version of himself? Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm hoping he remains more efficient than that, but it's a distinct possibility. Saka says, are you high on Drew Holiday? Is he worth a fifth or sixth round pick? Yes, absolutely. Fifth, sixth round, that's great value. Third round, nah. Fourth round, eh, fifth, yes, sixth, oh yeah. Anthony says, are you big on Dennis Schroeder? I am not. His game doesn't translate very well to nine category leagues. Even when he was playing a ton, he had trouble getting inside the top 100. Last year, he played 30 minutes a game on the Lakers, and he was number 216. Expectations for the Thompson Twins. Um, bumpy ride. Azer, uh, I love the, the combination of defensive stats, assists, rebounds. He can do a lot of cool stuff. He's a guy that I think I'd really like to have maybe both, honestly, in a dynasty deal, but I'm doing redraft. We're talking redraft right now. I think you might be able to get stuff out of them the second half of the year, but the first, I think both are outside the top 150. Is RJ Barrett, this is Don, a must-roster player in category leagues? Nope. Cirillo says, I'm concerned with durability, so I'm thinking of trading Kawhi for Mikael Bridges. Would you do that? I'm fine with that. I'm good either way. I like both of those guys for different reasons. And Vivek says, pick one, Drew or Kristaps Porzingis. I will go Porzingis. Give me the wild, magical upside of the original unicorn or unicorn original flavor, and that is where I'm going to stop the questions. I know a few are going to probably pop in as I'm wrapping up shop here, um, but we had a big-time one of those. Uh, by the way, I'm going to be doing a free Q&A in our Sports Ethos Discord. Um when am I doing that? At some point later this week. So make sure to join that. I'm going to throw that link in the chat room right now. So if you're watching the show on a replay, you'll be able to see that there. I'll try to remember to throw it into the description as well. Um, so if you're listening on traditional pod channels, you can find it in that spot. I'm also putting it on Twitter like all the time. So you guys remember to get in there. Hang out with us on the Sports Ethos Discord. Make sure to check out the draft tracker available in the Fantasy Pass. Again, that starts at just 6 bucks. And again, like, rate, subscribe on your way out. Really does help a lot. Find me on social at Dan Bespers. Thank you to everybody for all the really good questions today. Hope you guys enjoyed the original start to this show, which, uh, what did we talk about today? Oh, right, 12 best players in fantasy basketball. That's where we will wrap it up tomorrow, two-show Tuesday. We're doing a weekly preview to get everybody set for the start of the season. We will also do a show on some real draft results because I got a bunch of Roto Leagues, some head-to-head -head leagues we can go over. Uh, we'll take a look at some of the key things that went down in those. That is where I take my leave, and I'm playing you out today. You get a song on the back end. Enjoy. Enjoy.